1: Welcome to Rates and Barrels presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris on this Monday. Uh, we put out the call for jargon related questions, and we have a really good one to open with on today's show. So we're going to dig into that, as well as several individual player questions. Those are stacking up because now that we're more than a month in, there's definitely a more consistent well, is this real sort of vibe going on with a lot of players, fast starters, slow starters, and everybody in between? So we're going to try and answer as many of those questions as we can. We've got a few over-unders a little bit later on in the show as well. You know, So I want to start with this question because we talk about reach rate and chase rate all the time, and it really seems like we use those terms interchangeably. So we had a question from Ben. When you say reach rate and chase rate, do they refer to the same thing? And is it the same thing as O swing percentage?
2: Yes, (laughs) it is. And in fact, I got into a little trouble uh, with that uh, with my friend Jeff Zimmerman the other day when we were chatting. I asked him something about reach rate, and he had no idea what I was talking about. And he said he'd never heard that before. So, uh, mea culpa, my apologies. The thing is, I just don't think that O swing, I think it sounds technical and it sounds more complicated than What it is, so I think that I like reach rate because it's like reaching it at balls that aren't strikes, you know, like reach rate, you know. I think or chase rate. I like both of those better than saying O swing. It's like (laughs) O swing. (laughs) So, uh, but my apologies, that does make things uh, complicated. Uh, Mostly, it's O swing on Fangraphs, but uh, yeah, and even on Baseball Savant, if you the easiest way to get it in a leaderboard format. Is to go to the year to year changes leaderboard and select O-Z-, OZ swing percent. So, I I, I could be more co- like, do you think? What do you think? Do you think that we should like be more like always call it like when it's on the top of the leaderboard? I guess so.
1: Well, I think there's some extra little quirks that come up with O swing percentage and chase percentages that you find in that the strike zone, I think, is defined slightly differently on Savant as it is on the stat provider that Fangraphs uses, right? I think that's Baseball Info Solutions, if I remember correctly, for those there's
2: stats. two providers on Fangraphs.
1: Right. So sometimes <laughs> the numbers across different sites don't line up perfectly because there are some precision elements of the definition that cause it to be thrown off. We're still looking for the same thing. Reach rate to me seems like you know something we would talk about with hitters. Chase rate seems more like it would apply to pitchers, even though we are talking about the same thing: swings and <laughs> pitches that are outside the strike zone. Right? A hitter is reaching, and a pitcher is getting hitters to chase. So, if you want to use both, there's there's your way to use both. To be fully correct, we should say O oh, Swing Savant,
2: <laughs> <laughs> O oh, Swing Fangraphs VIS. Uh, I do have I do have the three open. Um, I've got uh, the through the Statcast year to year changes leaderboard. I have that one. Um, I have uh, the Baseball Info Solutions one, which is under the plate discipline tag um, on Fangraphs, and then I also have the Pitch Info uh, one uh, leaderboard open, um, and so. Here's one example that would make it seem like, oh, my God, these things are so different. So here's Robbie Grossman. Robbie Grossman on Pitch Info has a 19% O-swing. By Baseball uh, Info Solutions on Fangraphs, uh, Robbie Grossman has a 17%. And by StatCast, he has a 14%. And so you're like, oh, my God, this is impossible. Like, what the heck? What am I supposed to use? What's the best, best one? Well, here's a way to say maybe it's not that big a deal. Here are the top five by uh, plate info. Max Muncy in order. Max Muncy, Trent Grisham, Acuna, McCutcheon, Grossman. Although, hey, real kudos for Acuna to add that skill set. I can't. Like, I'm that blows my mind. and That made him, like, the best young player in baseball, you know? That one change, I feel like. Anyway, back to this. It's Muncy, Grisham, Acuna, Kutch, Grossman. Uh, B.I.S. is Muncie, Straw, Acuna, Grisham, Turner. Um, and StatCast top five is Muncie, Nimo Grossman, Soto, Grandal. So there's some differences, but if I had done the f- to- top ten, because Acuna is ninth a- a- at StatCast and Grisham is seventh, you'll see that uh, they correlate well uh, they're, they're about the same. And I think that you could just choose one, uh, and just make sure that you choose one. And then you can, you can just look at relative changes. We're always talking about kind of relative changes. Um, and if you just choose one, then you're being consistent going back and forth and, um, you'll get most of the picture. I think I, 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 I would kind of tend towards being like savant, probably the best one. Uh, because they will clean up the info and have so much of the info in house, but uh, Pitch Info has done a lot of good uh, for this interest, industry and knows um, has has their own way of washing things, and um, it could be superior. Um, so I think Baseball Info Infili- 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 Solutions kind of goes off of Game Day. Um, so I would I would choose um, I don't know I would choose either the Pitch Info one or the Savant one, whatever wherever you hang out most.
1: Yeah, and then just stick with that one just for the sake of not changing the measuring stick along the way. I think that's the right way to go. Uh, Thanks a lot for that question, Ben. I figure we should define those things right away because there are a lot of hitters that people were asking about. The first one is Alex Verdugo. Chris writes, I'm wondering if you guys can break down the increases Alex Verdugo has made in his advanced metrics on his StatCast page and his overall approach to hitting and any other interesting facts that you might find out along the way. So thank you for the question, Chris. Verdugo is really doing a lot of things well right now. You know, two things that caught my eye digging into his player page. He's actually striking out less than ever so far this season, down at 12.3%. And that's really good. But the other big thing, and this is something I've worried about with him in the past, he is hitting the ball on the ground less than ever. 44.4% ground ball rate. Easily the best of his career. And for a guy that hits the ball to all fields and does have some pop... Hitting the ball in the air more often is a very good thing. So we've seen that already. Four homers, three steals, you know, a three, 306, 362, 476 line, almost a carbon copy of what he was doing in the shortened season. So I think it's really easy to see some legitimate growth in this profile.
2: Yeah, and like you could uh, take one eye to it and be like, well, you know, uh, he doesn't barrel balls that much like his 5.5 percent barrel rate this year and his 5.7 career uh it's not a huge number he's not a huge power hitter uh but what i like about what he's doing it seems like he's settling in as one of the preeminent line drive hitters in baseball um you look at his sweet spots percentage it's up he's hitting the ball harder but he his launch average long potential goal is is ten degrees. It's eight degrees for his career. He's just not a guy who's gonna focus on lifting it. He's gonna focus on frozen ropes everywhere. So when I see you know a little bit higher first pitch swing rate and um, you know some changes in his strikeout rate and his reach rate is down, his out of zone swing percentage savant. <laughs> yeah no i'm not making fun of the person who asked the question at all i'm making fun of myself that that it is just difficult i think that's that's why jargon exists right is to like to to make things a little bit faster than, than than being super precise so but anyway his reach rate by savant is down um and uh so i just see him coming it's there's nothing that like really stands out as being like oh this is the one thing he's doing totally differently. It's just, I think he's really settling in as a frozen rope hitter. I kind of, uh, you know, like some, a little bit Vatoian in a way, you know, just not a guy, you might have a peak season where he hits 30
1: homers, but more of a 15 to 20 guy year in, year out. I hate that. I always go to this comp when we're looking at a guy that doesn't strike out a lot and hits the ball hard, but hits the ball on the ground a little bit. At least he did, especially early in his career. But DJ Lemehu has a similar profile, but we're seeing Verdugo lift the ball more than we ever see LeMahieu lift the ball right now. So maybe that comp starts to break down. But when you look back at early career, DJ Lemehu you had single-digit homers in Colorado, which was pretty weird, but you saw double-digit speed. When we're seeing Verdugo steal bases at a really efficient rate, so while I don't think he's necessarily going to get you 20-plus bags, he's probably going to get you a dozen pretty easily. So you factor in 15 to 20 homers, A dozen bags, a really good batting average because he's not the kind of guy who's going to hit the ball into the shift. He's going to hit it everywhere. You can't really shift that effectively against them. He's probably above average across the board, which is something that Ariel Cohen was banging the table on this one repeatedly. There's a short list of players who are above average in every rotisserie category. And Verdugo was on that list going into the season, and he's really right there as we played the first month plus now
2: yeah a uh, little bit concerning that he went from above average speed to below average speed um in terms of uh his uh sprint speed um you know he's down he was 68 percent his first 68 percentile in 2020 and he's 45th this year so maybe he's trying to bulk up a little bit to uh hit for more power um that's okay I didn't think he would be their long-term answer in center field anyway so I don't think it'll hurt him too much defensively. And he seems like a really smart, uh, you know, runner uh, def- uh, on the base pass. So I feel like he might still get you sort of 8 to 10 every year, even with slightly dis- declining wheels.
1: Yeah, your future center fielder in Boston is named Jaron Duran, and he is currently uh, at A, not crushing it to start. It's only been six games, but not falling on his face either. Kind of surprising to see his K rate up in a limited sample so far, but that number has to come down before... Duran is going to push Verdugo into a corner uh, on a full-time basis. Duran and Vidal Bruhan are probably
2: among the biggest uh, ads this weekend. Uh, in in this sort of in this one space of like people that might come up soon that we want to own for cheap before they come up, right? Not having to throw uh, all you might the might have fat another them. week to do that
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, on both cases, and in both cases, I think they might both come up to play center field. And um, I kind of like Bruhan on talent maybe a little bit more, but I think I like Duran
1: his opportunity more. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I think with the hit tool Duran has, there's just a a ton of floor there as well. I think with with Bruhan though, I think maybe I like him more than Duran from a fantasy perspective because of the bags. I don't really see any reason why the Rays wouldn't let him run. And I'd like they've actually run speed. a
2: fair amount for for like a sort of a uh, forward thinking team or whatever. Like they they got there was one thing that happened on their way to the postseason last year was all of a sudden they were the second fastest team. And once they got Brett Phillips,
1: they were like one of the five fastest teams in baseball and were also stealing bases a bunch. Yeah, Bruhan has been ridiculous at Durham to start the year. Four homers in the six games. Already has a steal. Hitting 4.55 with a 5.71 <laughs> OBP. So he's kind of forcing the issue. Wander who? Yeah. <laughs> you know that's the kind of stuff that's happening somewhere. Wander who? Like, it's like well, no, they're both they're both coming up, and they're both going to be pretty awesome and pretty fun to watch. I think uh, for a really long time. We did get another prospect called up uh, over the weekend. Trevor Larnack got the call. On Friday, made his debut on Saturday. So he was one of the other prospects that was scooped up over the weekend in redraft leagues. And I didn't really think the bidding was all that aggressive on him. Maybe there's some concerns about him not playing against lefties. And if you think about the current state of the Twins, Alex Kirilov has a wrist injury. He had a cortisone shot for that, so we're still kind of in a holding pattern with him. Buxton has a grade two hip strain, so he's going to miss at least a month, possibly longer. I was trying to make the pieces fit, and the best I could do if you have a healthy Kirilov and a healthy Miguel Sano and a healthy Nelson Cruz and a healthy Max Kepler along with Larneck, Kepler plays center field, which he has done when Buxton's been hurt in the past. So I think there is a way for Um, all those guys to coexist in the same lineup while Buxton is out. But I think once Buxton comes back, that's when things could get really crowded.
2: Yeah, I had a slightly different uh, calculus just thinking that maybe... Uh, Kepler wasn't great in center, and so we would just see a fair amount of uh, Jake Cave with Buxton out, and then Buxton would come back. And then I thought that Larnock was more of a real boom-bust situation with Kirillov's wrist because Kirillov is going to test the wrist this week. And basically the idea is uh, if he likes how it feels he's he's they'll just bring him back up like they won't even bother with much of a rehab or whatever, you know, um, because it's just been resting this wrist. Right. Um, and then if he doesn't like it could be surgery and be out for the year. So Larnach could end up being a really, really good pick uh, if if that happens. But if Kirilov does come back, I kind of see it as even with and out Kirilov, Cave, Kepler, Cruz and um uh, just spelling guys. Um, but, um, that's interesting that Kepler could play that the other reason I did not build aggressively on Larnack was just, uh, I just don't see him having much speed. Um, and I think that the strikeout percentage is super variable. Like, I don't think we know what he, his strikeout rate will look like. So if he comes up and strikes out 35% of the time, doesn't have any speed, he could be like a guy who hits 230 with, you know, uh, 20, 25 Homer type pop.
1: Yeah, a left-handed
2: Hunter Renfro or something, which is you know who I went in aggressively instead of his, instead of Larnark. Who'd you get, Tyrone?
1: Oh yeah, Tyrone Taylor looks really good on paper, and I think the way I see that situation is you've got Bradley and Kane basically platooning in center. You've got Yelich down probably longer than he was the first time with that back injury. I'd be surprised if Yelich is back before we flip the calendar to June. That's
2: my bet, is he plays very regularly with with, uh, Yelich out.
1: Yeah, he's probably the primary left fielder. And then if one of Kane or Bradley gets hurt, he can actually play center. He can be the other guy, right? If it's a Bradley-Taylor platoon in center, and then Taylor playing left on days where they're both in the lineup, that's nearly everyday playing time. The other key here is that Daniel Vogelback could move to the bench and Billy McKinney can play first base or he does not play Billy McKinney at all. So with Taylor, the thing I keep coming back to is he's had a lot of injuries as a prospect. He was not above average hitter at AAA in 2018 when he reached that level in the first time. And because they've been so loaded in the outfield at the big league level the last couple of years, he just hasn't had more than scraps to play. I think the, the question I would have for David Stearns if we were interviewing him is to say, why wasn't Tyrone Taylor playing ahead of Ben Gamble? Like, I realize Gamble's a lefty and Taylor's a righty, but Taylor looks pretty interesting and I bet Ben you that'd Gamble be his doesn't. Answer, though. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's like at a certain point, sure, like the, the platoon advantage for Gamble is nice. You can use him more against righties, but Taylor just looks like a much better bet and, to do some damage when he's on the field.
2: Yeah, and he does two things that. I don't think Larnack has demonstrated he can do uh completely or, or one of them he doesn't. Larnack does not have that speed. Um and Taylor is fast and could steal some bases. And then the other thing is I think I believe in Taylor's strikeout rate more. I think it'll be significantly better than Larnack. So I'm assuming a slightly better average and more steals. And you know, some of the same playing time issues. Yeah, the the Brewers could get healthy and suddenly he's out of a job, but with Larnack I think that that situation is more acute. I see him going down pretty easily I think Taylor's kind of made his case already so, and and besides uh the the difference was actually interesting uh like I kept getting uh, I got uh, two or three shares of Taylor for like 35 bucks and um I saw Larnack go down for like 230. Like oh, some yeah. people were got really aggressive on that
1: yeah, I was more five to eight percent on Larnac unless there was a desperate need for hitting, in which case maybe ten was the most I was going to go. I didn't think twenty plus made sense, even with the way you could shift things around. I, he's a bat first prospect, so if he hits, and they're struggling right now too as a team, they're well below five hundred. If he hits, they're going to find a way to keep him, but, but
2: they could also like they also aren't doing that well on defense. So like, mm-hmm. You know, to to put Kepler in center might be kind of like. Should like uh, taking the finger out of the dike and putting it in a different hole?
1: Sure, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's go with that. <laughs> Dominic Smith is a question that came in from Max. He, has he been unlucky to start the year? Or have pitchers figured him out? Looks to me like he might be getting exposed by off-speed pitches. Do you think he can recover? And is he worth a roster spot in a shallow keeper league, a twelve-teamer where you can only keep five? Thanks, Max. I'll answer the second part of that question first. I don't think he's necessarily someone you'd be keeping in a league like that. So you're not necessarily locked into holding him because you feel like he's going to clear the bar necessary to be held in a league where 60 players are kept. But I do think Dominic Smith is a good hitter despite the slow start. 28 games, hitting two twenty two with a two seventy one OBP and a three twenty-three slug. It's been rough so far, to put it mildly. I don't think this is a sign of things to come necessarily because he was 32% better than league average in 2019 and 64% better than league average in terms of WRC plus in 2020. Basically 20 to 25 home run power during that time as well. I don't think that's completely evaporated, Uh, but I do think Smith was dinged up this spring, right? So I wonder if part of his slow start might be some lingering effects of just not being completely healthy uh
2: the, he does demonstrate something that's interesting I, although i tend to stay away from the x stats um i think they can give you a little bit of sense of, of luck and we were talking about how the x stats were a little bit broken this year because the run environment is different and the ball is performing differently um it looks like tom tango made an announcement that uh they have rejiggered the x stats uh to to fit the current reality on the field so, uh that says uh, Dominic Smith's 283 XBA is is a lot better than his actual 222. Um, you know, even though his barrel rate has gone down, uh 8.1% barrel rate f- uh, this year and 8.8 career. If he keeps that uh around 10, I think he will be uh like a 275-280 type hitter with uh 25 homers or plus, right? I mean, that's uh, you know, ten percent bail rate is 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 not like Stantonian or anything, but it's um it's it's like top quartile.
1: I still think there's a chance he could get traded in season to a team that will play him at his natural position. Uh, but if you look at the playing time so far this season, it's usually just days off against lefties. He's pretty much been an everyday guy in left field against right-handed pitching to this point. Spending most of his time hitting third, fourth, or fifth in that Mets lineup too, and they're going to wake up. Like it's only a matter of time. I think Lindor Homered over the weekend, maybe the rat versus raccoon situation is going to get them going. What? Or Donnie Stevenson. I don't know what's going on with the Mets, but it, it seems like Why are they some... pushing this thing so hard? I don't know exactly.
2: It's it's got some Hank it's, the Dog really vibes smells, to me. It really smells like there was a fight between players. <laughs> and they're just trying to cover it up with this rat raccoon thing.
1: And it's just a really bad cover up. Yeah, I don't know. Which That's side are you on? Do you think it's a rat? Or do you think it's a raccoon? Was there an actual animal at any time? I don't think there was ever a picture of one, but it's New York. I assume so, it's a rat. What am I I'm
2: supposed to? I'm supposed to opine on it. <laughs> An animal I've never seen. It's very yeah, important. Yeah, you're right.
1: Good point. It was New
2: York. Probably a rat.
1: <laughs> there was. I was walking to, I think it was a Tout Wars auction with Clay Link a few years ago. We were just walking down one of the streets in, in Midtown, and he goes, you know, I'd really like to see a New York rat, and right on cue, within seconds, one scurried by it. I'd never actually seen one on the sidewalk before either, and it's just like, oh, man, that's it's that unfortunate. Not what you want.
2: That- the trash collection is done the way it is in New York. I think that it leads to more of it. The trash is basically just there on the side of the road. It's and like not, not always great. and not always in 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 like they don't really do like the the container thing so much. It's just mm. like a bag of trash on the side of the road. <laughs> I, my my wife and I were walking home late one day, and like one scurried by, and we were like, ew, that was so close!" And then we realized that we were like on a highway. It was like the meatpacking district where there's even more gross mm-hmm. stuff out. And uh, then like 30 rats scuttled <laughs> across in front of us. And then you called a car immediately. <laughs> we were like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, it was just a, you know, and then on the subways you will see them down at the bottom. But it, I don't know. It, did, it didn't affect my, uh, I, I didn't, if you, it wouldn't be one of the first things I said about
1: living in New York. No, I had been there several times before seeing one. So, yeah. you know, not as bad as some people might make it out to be. Uh, staying in New York for a moment because we're making it sound so pleasant. Uh, <laughs> Gleyber Torres hit his first home run of the season over the weekend. A l- little later than everybody expected. Yeah, May, May 9th, I think, was the official date if you're keeping score at home. And maybe if you have him on your team, you are. Uh, I'm frustrated, <laughs> you know, because I... I thought Glaber was an obvious bounce back play for this year. I didn't see anything yeah. in the underlying numbers last year that gave me enough concern to say it's fool's gold. It's not going to happen. I thought, yeah, maybe 38 home runs in 2019 was the result of the ball. And I know he binged against the Orioles that year. And maybe 38's a career high, but I thought 30 in that park was definitely something he could do again with a good average. And we talked about the plate skills back during draft season. He walked more than ever last year, and he struck out less than ever last year. And I thought that was enough of a positive to get right back in and buy Glaber at the discounted price this year. What are you seeing in the underlying numbers when you take a look? Because it's similar to last year where the 240s average, you know, OK OBP, sub 400 slug almost a sub 300 slug that home run probably popped him up over that number what's going on here because we're looking at 74 games of glaber torres not being the same guy that he was in 18 and 19 when he broke through
2: yeah there's a fairly distinct you know one of the things i really um i'm drawn to a little bit now um is on the savant page there's this thing called percentile rankings um and it just, it has, it has an interesting array of stats with color coding, right? Um, and with Torres, it tells us a very interesting story where he was a guy with a low X OBP, but high X slugging his first two years and a high barrel rate. Um, and then in 2021, he became a high X OBP guy with a low X slugging. Um, and you saw his strikeout and walk rates improve a ton. I, I see two hitters, right? And so I actually think this is a very exciting time to buy him in a keeper league in a redraft. I think you have to, you have to uh, say it's not likely that he's going to just going to turn on a light switch, get back to a 10% barrel rate and hit, you know, and get on a 30 homer pace the rest of the year. I think you have to take his power output and reduce it. Right? So I think that this year, the most likely outcome is he finishes with like a 260 average and like 18 homers and nine steals or ten steals, I think that'll still return fair amount of value to people. You know, it's better better value than say like a Kesten Hura, um, who was drafted similarly, right? Yeah, they were comparable. So I think it'll be okay, and I think that's a decent floor actually. So I'm I'm I put a buy on him. I really like his plate discipline. I, and it's very good right now. He's a, a league leader in, in, in O swing percentage. Um, and so I would say that I love the way that he's making contact. He's got a really good plan at the plate, and he has a history of hitting
1: the ball harder than he is now. Yeah, I definitely think keeper in Dynasty especially. This is a great window. I mean, we're talking about guys 24. He plays up the middle. Even if he moves off shortstop to play second base, the pool of great second baseman for the next five plus years is surprisingly thin and the window to get him at anything that resembles a discount would close very quickly I mean if he puts together a stretch in May and June that even looks more like typical Glaber it's not a full bounce back but a step in the right direction that window is going to close very quickly because yeah, expectations like, were high he's still going to have Baltimore in August right he just hasn't had it yet <laughs> mm-hmm it's coming uh, so i'm in on torres as, as well and i'd be patient i think in redraft yeah you lower that ceiling a little bit but i still think you're you're at a point where you're most likely going to get him at enough of a discount where it still makes sense to trade for him even in redraft situations as well so in on glaber that is the official stance of the show at this point looking for
0: an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone
1: All right, you know, let's talk about Robbie Ray. He was another player that was asked about with an email. that came in from Max in San Francisco. And Robbie Ray is one of the more frustrating pitchers in the league to have on your fantasy team. We have one amazing season. We have plenty of years with lots of strikeouts. And we you've got partial seasons where he's looked like he's figured some things out only to blow up and disappoint everybody... What's interesting to me is that we're getting the great ratios from Robbie Ray right now, 314 ERA, 115 whip through five starts, 29 Ks in 28 and two thirds innings, so actually a pretty good drop in strikeouts for him, but he's not walking guys the way he used to. A 7.8% walk rate is more than cutting the walk rate in half from the shortened season. This is a guy that's run a double digit walk rate four years in a row going back to 2017, so... I can take this version of Ray, which also comes with a lot of home runs, if he's not going to walk guys and he's still going to miss bats at a good clip. It's not the peak Robbie Ray, but this might be a lot more sustainable in the long run.
2: Yeah, there, it is interesting. I think that um, if you look at uh, you know stuff in Location Plus, the last three starts have been above and beyond way better than the first two starts. Um, and... Uh, you know with the with the stuff I think it's just his uh fastball's gotten a little bit harder uh y- you can see he's actually throwing he's throwing among the hardest like uh, some of the fastest fastballs he's thrown in his career so he's 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 doing good velo wise there and uh his his breaking ball got harder too so that's two ways that w- two things that would affect his stuff number positively. Um, On the location thing, we've got a graphic. Let's check it out. First two starts. Oh, face off. Uh, The first two starts, that's what his fastball command looked like on the first two starts. You see a scattered heat map. He's trying to go inside to righties. Uh, He's throwing low in the zone. It's kind of all over the place. And then here's his next one. Boom. I think it, it looks a little bit like the glass now thing where they're like, don't worry about in and out. We're going to keep you up and down. And you're you're going to throw at the top of the zone. And you're going to throw low in the zone. And you're just going to keep them going up and down. And um, so it's a much more uh, clustered, like centralized uh, cluster. And it's also higher in the zone on average. I think those things can help them. And it hopefully will lead to some weak fly ball contact. It's also leading to homers. But... He's a guy who'll give up homers all the time anyway. so I think that um, I think that at this point we can say okay he's maybe he's gonna have uh, one of the better walk rates of his career let's let's give him that let's say that there's a there's a fundamental shift in philosophy and how he's pitching and um let's give him you know at least 1.5 homers for nine <laughs> uh, because that's how he lives his life two pitch pitcher uh, who throws high in the zone. I think that he could uh, give you something like what Zips has planned, a 4-3 ERA, a bunch
1: of strikeouts, uh, and a homer and a half. Yeah, it's weird to see a system with a sub-4 ERA projected, but Steamer's down there at 380 with a 127 whip. I mean, that seems like the best case scenario. Giving him his best
2: walk rate of of all the different ones. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It also gives him a 1.28 homers per nine, and you have to go back to 2017 to find that for him. But maybe the run environment—I don't know. But he's—I mean—he's given up nearly two right now, and that's kind of in line with his recent work. So somewhere, somewhere in between that steamer and that zips projection is where
1: I land. I really need to read the Max email because he describes the Robbie Ray experience as he screams like Monica Celis on release, which he does. He probably is the loudest grunter in the league. He does throws fu gas down the pipe, never walks anyone, and does it all in an obscenely tight uniform. So. His
2: pants are so tight, it looks like they're disappearing into his butthole. Like they're just, it's it looks like there's like a shrink machine in his butt, and it's like pulling the pants all the way in there.
1: Needs to be more pants where there's not enough visual, pants. <laughs> the
2: visual that I need to give to people, but they're tight. <laughs> and it's fun. Uh yeah, and I think that is that, that goes in line with the the heat maps, you know? He is just kind of being like, Hey, do something with this. It's ninety-five, ninety six now.
1: Thank you for not mocking up a graphic of what is happening with Robbie Ray's pants, because <laughs> I feel like that'd be bad for the, the YouTube viewers to have that. Going on. Uh, let's move on to Dylan Cease. Manny wants to know if we're seeing anything different in his performance that is encouraging. Obviously, with Cease, walks are key, uh, but is that the crux of whether or not he can take the next step here in 2021?
2: Yeah, I, I wrote up Cease uh, in my pitcher report that came out on Friday. Um, there's been uh, a mechanical change. He he's kind of like stays back and upright a little bit longer. Um, there's been a command plus change, which is kind of hard to affect that. That number is pretty static year to year. Um, and he went, and he went from 83, which is future reliever to 91, which is, um, kind of like you Darvish territory, like, like if the stuff is good enough, um, he'll be fine. And, uh, he also in starts when he doesn't throw his change up, which I think is just a bad pitch, even though it kind of. Looks okay. In starts where he doesn't throw the changeup, he has a stuff number over a hundred and twenty. So in the slider and the four seam, he has two pitches with a stuff number over a hundred and thirty. So I don't want him to become only a two pitch pitcher. But the changeup has a stuff number thirty nine, and the knuckle curve has a sixty three. So I would just use the knuckle curve as the changeup and
1: ditch the changeup entirely. I think. I have shades of Robbie Ray, young Robbie Ray still bouncing through my head looking at these walk rates for Dylan Cease. I realize Ray's a lefty, Cease is a righty, but a guy that has missed plenty of bats so far but just doesn't get the results you'd expect because the command is so shaky, that's a profile that's often worth betting on. Are you more likely, if you're choosing in a shallow mixed league, if Cease and Ray happen to be on the wire in like a 10-team league or if you're thinking about trading for one of these guys, is it cease by default because he's younger and we haven't seen him struggle with these issues at this level for as long as Ray has, or would you be more inclined to go after someone like Ray, who maybe in this limited last few starts has actually started to show some of the improvement that he needs to show to finally sort of kick these issues aside.
2: I hate to be a cop-out, but I think I'll use the schedule as my cop-out cease is much more likely to have a bunch of Kansas city starts and, um, I just think, like in Cleveland, in Kansas City, starts that are going to be a lot easier to take than deciding whether or not to throw Robbie Ray in Baltimore in August or in uh, New York when the when that team is is firing on all cylinders. So I'll, I'll take uh, cease by virtue of schedule, but it, philosophically, um, I I have to admit I I tend towards cease types. You know, <laughs> like I think I'm like everybody. We're chasing that that dreaded upside always
1: you know the stupid U word strikes again and it probably (laughs) it applies to this next guy we're going to talk about Tristan McKenzie who's had all sorts of issues with walks Uh, John wrote to us wondering what's going on here he writes looking at his strike zone plots it looks like he's missing more with all of his pitches compared to last year but he especially seems to be missing with his fastball and he's throwing it 67 percent of the time this season compared to 53 percent last year. What causes a pitcher to lose command like this? Injury, mechanics, or both? Do you think he can fix it in season without significant time on the IL or in the minor? So, really good question from John. I mean, I watched McKenzie start, it would have been a week ago Saturday, so nine days ago, against the White Sox. And it was fastball heavy. It was 90-92 to 92 most of the time, missing by miles. It, it was not young pitcher getting squeezed, young pitcher trying to go in or up and missing just off the zone. It was throwing non-competitive pitches, which definitely gave me some pause. McKenzie was someone I really liked coming into the season because with Cleveland's recent history of maxing out guys with a lot less raw talent than he has, I thought the sky was the limit. I thought they could have him take a huge step and maybe other than some concerns about his workload from the lat injury he had a couple of years ago and the shortened season, of course, being more impactful for a guy like him than some other guys, that was really my only concern. Command, I didn't think it was going to be a problem for him, and it's been a bit of a train wreck to this point.
2: Yeah. Uh, overall, his uh, Command Plus is, I was looking at the breakdown by pitch, and it's it's ugly, but overall, it's still not very good either. Uh, it's an 82 overall. Remember what I said about the reliever shelf uh, being around 90? And then it doesn't get better when you go on a per-pitch level because the two pitches he he commands the worst are the four-seam and the slider, which is kind of modern baseball. And he's got an 81 command plus on the four-seam and a 76 on the slider. So he's missing a very key component uh, when it comes to... uh, when it comes to modern baseball. He needs to have something that he can command in the zone. His slider is not uh, that hard either, Um, and uh, comparatively, I guess. And so his stuff number is not great, and it's gotten worse with every start, which is kind of the Tristan McKenzie story, right? He came, burst on the scene, averaged 94, I think, in his first start. And then every start after that, you know, less low, less Velo, less Velo. and this year he debuted uh, with a hundred stuff plus and hasn't sniffed a hundred since. So I I'm looking around for something to be excited about, and I don't I don't know what it is. The slider's the only uh, pitcher with pitch with a stuff plus number over a hundred, and he can't command it. So I think he's, I don't know. I think he's kind of stuck. I don't don't know. And it seems to me to have something to do with his frame and his ability, his durability, and his
1: ability to keep Velo up. I think the tricky thing here, if you still have him, you're probably keeping him in your lineup for this week because he's at Seattle, and that's a brutal lineup right now. But you go to next week, he's got the Angels. There's no way I'd start him against the Angels at this point. And I think if you're looking at him... Is a guy that is showing such sketchy stuff and command right now, that probably makes him a drop in any sort of redraft league other than like an AL only league. I mean, I, I think Seattle's your last ditch effort. What I'm a little afraid of is if he comes out and looks really good and strikes eight guys out over six innings, gets a win. It might be tempting to try and hold on to him, but even if he pitches well in his start this week, He's a bench guy next week against the Angels. You need to see some consistency if you're gonna hold on to him. You cannot throw him against an above average lineup like the Angels. And that's even accounting for you know injuries with Rendon not being there right now and that lineup not being at full strength, I still think that's a matchup to avoid with a guy like McKenzie.
2: Yeah. The only thing I'd be tempted about is to like maybe have him I do have on a lot of teams these team streamers, as Paul Spohr calls them, where you've you've got them on your bench and you use them some weeks and you don't use them other weeks, you know? So I kind of think that's where he lives right now. So you might want to nurse him through that angel start, see what happens in that one and see if the next week uh, provides, maybe provides you a double start that you want. But a lot of times I, I notice with these guys, the double start comes and you're like, Oh, like, um, is a Tyler Molly has, um, pittsburgh and you're like oh
1: and then he's like at colorado for the
2: second start and you're like
1: i think molly and we had a question about molly on twitter from jim it's really hard to sit him the first start should be so good that even if the second one is a below average start it comes out to be two usable starts in the aggregate yeah i'm starting my shares but yeah it's Brutal when your two-star week comes around and you don't feel great about the second one, even when you feel great about that pitcher as a whole. And Colorado that's right. is still one of those short list of places that can pop up that just stop you in your tracks with someone like that.
2: Yeah, and and, and that's why Herman uh, Raquez is like getting close to being a dropper for me, except in keeper situations where you're maybe nursing him for a post-Colorado uh, existence. Uh, which I think could exist. I mean, at some point, they got to get going, and he's probably one of their better trade ships, honestly.
1: Yeah, I think he is, and I think plenty of teams would be interested if they know that he's available. Uh, let's talk about one of Tristan McKenzie's teammates, Aaron Savale, uh, one of the more frequently discussed pitchers on the podcast over the, the course of its lifespan. But the <laughs> the numbers so far good. Sub-3 ERA, at 291, a 104 whip. The FIP says... Low four ZRA is probably what you're going to get because the strikeout rate's been low so far, and the walk rate is okay, not amazing. You know, if he had an elite walk rate, maybe that would make you feel a little bit better about what he's doing. Home run rate's down from last year, just under one Homer per nine. Last year he was at 1.34 homers per nine. A lot of favorable matchups. Probably not a guy that even with those ratios, I'm throwing out there all the time without thinking about it. Uh, but where do you fall right now on Savali now that we're just over 175 innings into his big league career?
2: I mean, he is a, a, uh, an Indian starter. He's an Indian starter. You know what I mean? Like, he's a Cleveland starter for sure because he has a poor fastball, uh, but he has three of them. <laughs> 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 and he has really good command of his slider. Um, and that's 117 command plus on the slider, uh, 101 on the curveball, and 101 on the, uh, on the, on the two-seam. So, uh, you know, and by stuff, I see a curveball, a splitter and a cutter that are above average. So the way he's pitching now is the cutter is kind of his fastball, the four seam he uses for whiffs high in the zone um, after people sort of get lulled to sleep by the cutter and he uses the split finger and curveball ball um, sort of traditionally as, as whiff pitches. I, uh, overall, good command, not great fastball, not great stuff. There are places where I wouldn't want to start him. Like, would you want to start him in Chicago? No, against the
1: White Sox. I would not start him in against the White I Sox. I would not if start I could him help in it. New
2: York. I would not start him in Boston. I would not start him in Baltimore in August or maybe even now. So there's at least four or five parks where I don't want to start him. But uh, definitely one of the higher end team streamers where you you know, and if you had to start him every time. I think they would even out in the end because Cleveland is a great place to pitch and he has that command. He has a large pitch pitch mix. So I think you, if you had to start him every time, it'd be all right. It's just going to end up more above four than below three.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the projections seem like they're probably too bearish on him at this point. I think he can beat those projections pretty consistently. All the projection systems at Fangraphs are 450 and above with the ERA. They're in the 130 range for the whip. I think he at least beats the ERA, probably beats the whip too. I think he's more of a four one twenty five sort of guy that over a high volume of innings, with decent number of wins, ends up being a good like net positive sort of pitcher, especially where he was going in drafts this year.
2: Yeah, but uh, if you're in a ten or twelve team, like I think this is a great
1: opportunity to shop him. Yeah, I would agree with that. If you can find someone willing to maybe package him with someone else and get a nice player back in return I don't know if one for one traits for Aaron Savale are going to bring back something huge but Savale plus something pretty interesting offensively could land you maybe a Gleber Torres or, or something along those lines
2: and if you're listening and you say well nobody ever does two for ones in my league I can't do I can't do a Savale plus somebody for something just do a two for two and identify somebody on their team that you drop it, it, it makes it makes every two for one look better like Mm -hmm. it just it helps the other person conceive of the the deal and be like oh this is way better than that guy who i was rostering and then on your end you can say well uh, that's a roster spot for me but i'm helping i'm helping the trade look better because two for ones are like oh i got another two for one yeah thanks
1: (laughs) take the burden of the drop away from the other manager i think that's right
2: right right and 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 just the two for one itself just the whole format pisses people off
1: Mm, you're right yeah i I think it i think it does but thanks a lot for a little uh, bit
2: different in like al only nl only depth there matters a lot more i would say
1: yeah absolutely thanks a lot for that question by the way tim i think tim was also the one that asked us about glaber torres who we talked about a little bit earlier in the show kind of weird that i just told him to trade for one of the guys in the email and get another guy back but (laughs) that's how things work sometimes just trade uh, Somali for torres i love it Just a happy coincidence.
0: Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com theathletic.
1: All right, we had a few more questions roll in. The first one came in from Steve. And we were talking about some non-closer relievers that were pretty interesting, especially like bulk relievers that weren't quite starters. Jonathan Loizaga was the guy that came up. He's got three pitches and really throwing more change-ups this year. Seems to be bulked up, too, at least based on the email that Steve sent us. I know in the past, health has been a major concern for Loizaga. It's a big part of the reason why he hasn't claimed a rotation spot just yet. And he's been popping on player raiders when you start sorting by just overall value on a lot of sites. He's one of the first pitchers you're going to see available in a good number of leagues. So do you think there's a starter here in the near future or possibly even a closer years down the line?
2: I, I mean, I see a a starting pitching mix. I mean, uh, it's a little bit hard. The stuff number will change when you go from starting to relieving and really back again, because your velocity will go down and, and, you know, that'll change. They'll have some sort of cascading effects. But uh, he's a 111 11 stuff right now. So there is some sloughing off that can happen. Um, and he'll still be a good pitcher. And what I see are three or four pitches uh, that are uh, good stuff or better. Um, in the four seam the sinker, curveball, and change. So that's a that's a wide enough arsenal. And then he com- commands the fastballs at an above average rate by command plus, and uh, overall his his commands are about average. So I don't see anything holding him back from being a starter. He's one of my favorite uh, starter eligible uh, relievers to kind of plug into a lineup. Um, but I like I don't have that much optimism for him ever being a starter because. Uh, he has one of the more legendary uh, injury sheets in baseball, like ever. Uh, I think he was out. I think he was just hurt for three years. There, like, if you, like, look at his Fangraphs page and just try to figure out what happened. Because he was on the Giants, but not playing in the minor leagues for like three years. Let me see if I can get that up. See, Giants, you have a thing here, 2013 Giants rookie ball. Okay, he looked pretty good, alright, but not a good strikeout rate, but great swing strike rate. And then the next note is 2016, Yankees a That's just amazing. And even, even with the Yankees, uh, you know, like 2016 was 2 innings, 2017 was 30 innings, 2018 was 50 innings, uh, 70 innings, 2019 was 50 innings, 23 last year so i think he's just a guy who's who's good for like 50 to 70 innings a year
1: well i think we're at least at a point in the way pitchers are used where they could optimize him and the path for him to be a regular three inning guy someday still exists if you look at the game blog though he hasn't completed two innings since april 17th so they're using him just like a regular reliever lately uh, I think that really hurts outside of leagues that reward holds, and even for the season, I think he's only got three holds. Well, one of the things that is interesting about him, though,
2: is that he's not the setup guy. He's not one of the like maybe three best relievers on a team that uh, has a really good bullpen. So he is going to rack up some of those wins. He'll get some wins. He'll get some maybe some long longer saves. Maybe he will get one of those three inning saves. But I think he'll get some wins and holds. And so that's why I like him in SB eligible. That's where I'm using him as like a just get me, just rack me up a couple wins. Like by the end of the season, give me five wins and 10 holds. You know, out of a And then like really good strikeout rates and and good ERA and like 55 innings. That's a good thing to sort of like just plug into one of your SB slots and just sort of accrue that. Yeah, I, I don't
1: know if you could really use him outside of 15 team mixers as that last pitcher. I think anything more shallow than that, maybe in daily leagues, he's on and off the roster a few times. You just throw him in there when you're looking for an extra pitcher that could give you good ratios and a high strikeout rate for the innings that he's out there. But thanks a lot for the question, Steve. Uh, we had a question come in about Caleb Thielbar. This came from Sean. He writes, he's 34, spent five seasons away from the majors, including time in independent ball, and throws a 91-mile-an-hour fastball. However, his strikeout minus walk percentage is a Burns-esque 38.5%, and his best pitch is a slow curve, a 70-mile-per-hour curveball with a really high whiff rate. So what do you think of Caleb Thielbar? Is this just a, a good, funky reliever that is very effective, or do you see something more there?
2: Yeah, lovely uh, stuff. Uh, plus number one thirty on that curveball, so uh, it's not all about velo there. Um, he's got a good pitch. I can't uh, ignore, you know, his history though, uh, or his age, or the fact that his fastball has a below average stuff number and only goes ninety one. Um, and then on top of that, there's been some uh, sloughing off in the stuff number recently. Um, because I think his velo has dropped a little in his last start, it was 90. So that's something to watch. If it, if it stays down at 90, that might, uh, affect his overall ceiling. But uh, I think a great find, great, great development win for the the Twins to get this much out of him uh, at this point in his career.
1: I think it's a lot like the Matt Whistler situation. Just you know, one really good pitch works fine. Six, seventh inning, whatever. He's just kind of a glue guy that comes in is pretty effective. He's cheap, so that's obviously important for the team. Not a guy you can <clears throat> commit to long term, but a guy that ends up being a, a useful part of a. Of a good bullpen when it's all said and done, even though he doesn't have that long, long track record of success. Uh, let's get to some over unders. This is a fun question that came in from Should Mike. Have a song. Over
2: under over under over.
1: I like it. it sounds like a Hall and Oates song. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that uh, "Rich Girl" is actually not written about a girl? Oh. It's Written about a guy. And if you if you change out the you know change it to rich guy and sing the words, it doesn't doesn't quite work. But hmm. something I learned on it's the Spotify equivalent of pop up video. If you watch Spotify on Roku to play music, sometimes it just starts to spit out. It puts up the lyrics and then it spits out random facts about the hmm. song. Uh, it also told me I, this is where I also learned that Boys of Summer was a song that was originally written and offered to tom petty and he passed on it and don henley was like yeah i'll i'll make that happen and i just thought to myself how much cooler would that song It song's not bad I and mean, it got covered by the ataris and was kind of popular again 15 years ago now but that could have been a tom petty hit for sure i think it could have been a petty hit it, I mean, it would sound nothing like the version that Don Henley made, obviously, mm. which sounds like uh, something you'd hear on an episode of Miami Vice, but <laughs> I've kind of been like driving around in the car, like kind of imagining what the petty version would have sounded like. And I wish there was some, you know, bootlegged concert where maybe he tried it once or something, but having passed on it, maybe it's, maybe that's bad form as a musician to, to pass on a song and then to and later then cover, cover it. it. Yeah, <laughs> you probably can't do that. It's probably frowned upon. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about some over unders. I don't don't know what where I was going with that exactly. Oh yeah, rich guy, rich guy, not rich girl. Even though Ooh. the song is called "Rich Girl," Isaiah kiner Falefa, a player that I've been wrong about as many times as I can be wrong about a player. <laughs> um, so in in the hall of DVR idiot moves, there's a plaque with Isaiah kiner Falefa on it. You know, playing and. Doing productive things for us as fantasy players. Five homers already this season. Over-under for the rest of the season would be set at 13.5. So basically 8.5 more from this point forward. Based on what you're seeing so far, is there a reason to believe there's actually a little more power in this profile than I and many others previously thought?
2: I'm going under. There's a bit of a higher barrel rate, but unclear if that's been adjusted for the new reality of the ball for his career a very uninspiring barrel rate 1.7% for his career 1000 plate appearances with 13 homers I mean he's like a 60% ground ball guy no i i I think uh I think he'll end up at like 10 homers and 15 steals it's it's a it's a, a remarkable package because it's it's i think it's only useful in certain leagues
1: deep deep leagues and in a lot of leagues he's lost that catcher eligibility when he was a, a second catcher option i didn't even like him then to be completely <laughs> honest but at least i could understand the rationale of people who did like um, decent adding average for a second catcher right not hurting you as a second catcher and stealing some bases he's got six steals and seven attempts so far this t- season that team stinks they're gonna let him run if you said over under 13 and a half more steals the rest of the season, if you said you got to pick an over on homers or steals, I would take the over on steals. I think that's one spot where he can be a little bit better than we expected. Plus he's being very aggressive and that Mm -hmm. that usually holds. Mm -hmm. But I'm definitely under on the power, even though he's a better player than I probably gave him credit for previously. Chris Bryant also came up in Mike's email over under 34 and a half home runs. That's for the whole season, right? So he's already got a few in the bank. He's got nine through 32 games. That would give him, ooh, 30, 27, 26, 20, 26 more would be the over total to get there. So you think Brian can get there?
2: Yeah. 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 Contract year, baby. Hopefully just healthy, but uh, best barrel rates of his career. So, so big that like, even if you, regress it a little bit i mean like 16 percent his best before was 11.7 so even if you regress that a little bit he's uh he's found something that's how i would put it he's found something either health or something mechanically
1: so i'm all in i wonder what his contract is going to look like as a free agent given the up and down nature (laughs) the ceilings being that of a guy that's been you know a six win player on three occasions those are his first three seasons in the league almost a five-win player back in 2019. He's tracking to be a five-plus win player in 2021, right? Even if you slow him down offensively, he's already got two almost. So I, I think that makes him at least a five-year sort of player for mm-hmm. teams. And it's it's going to be like a $25 million AAV, I would assume.
2: Maybe yeah, more. It'll, it'll have
1: to be bigger than the Le- LeMahieu one because LeMahieu was way older. Yeah. So I'm just kind of curious to see how that plays out. And uh, even though I'm wearing the Brewers hat today, I do think a healthy Chris Bryant is just kind of the classic good for baseball. It's good to see Chris Bryant healthy and productive again because he's a really good player. Um, I'm going to take the over on that season long total of 34 and a half because I think he's going to get there and it's going to be close, but I'm assuming he's staying healthy. How about Jose Barrios? Over under a 27.5% K percentage for the rest of the season. The email from Mike had it at 30, and I felt like 30 is just too much of a leap where I would have to snap take the under. But he's at 27.9 so far this season, and that's a career high for him. So he's up from the 23 to 25% range. So basically, will he sustain the K rate that he has now or possibly something better the rest of the way?
2: Um, I'm just mad, dude. I, I had like, I like Jose Barrios. We've talked about Jose Barrios on this. And I think that this year I have no shares of Jose Barrios for some reason. And I don't know why, because I've had shares other years. Um, stuff plus says awesome curveball, average four seamer. Um, okay. Sinker change. Uh, command plus has always liked him. um, but I have to admit, as much as I like him, he goes through streaks. And I think this is probably just on the one of the better ends of his streaks.
1: Hmm. I don't think he has to go over 27.5% with the K-rate to have the best fantasy season of his career.
2: That's, tr- that's also true, yeah. You Even know, if he just plays his projections the rest of the way, he'll probably have the best uh, fantasy season of his career.
1: Right, if he cuts the walk rate down a little bit and... Keeps a 25% K rate. That's going to work. He's kept the ball in the park so far. The the career best home run rate holds up. That can do it too. I wonder if this season we're getting so far ratios wise. Maybe this is about as good as he can be. A 349 ERA and a 114 whip. If If that's his ceiling, I can live with that as someone that's been trying to get the Jose Barrios breakout every year for about four years now.
2: This I think this is this is yeah this is what I was hoping for last year when I when I drafted him more often than I drafted him this year and it, it's not because I it's not because I was like ooh he burned me you know it's just I think it had something to do with uh, with where he was available and where he's being taken and what I was doing at that point.
1: All right, well, I'm officially going under on twenty seven point five percent with the K rate, but that's with the the me asterisk too. of I still like him and but I would be happy. It, you know, what's have interesting
2: him. too is you know his. Career number is around twenty five percent, but the league just went from like twenty three to twenty five percent, right? So if he was twenty five percent when the league was twenty three percent, then maybe just twenty seven and a half is basically the new twenty five. Just
1: K rate inflation.
2: Yeah. So maybe he's just the same guy. It's just the league striking out more. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'll I'll still take the under. I could be right at twenty seven point four, and I can. <laughs> i could claim victory that way and i'll i'll happily take it uh the last player mike asked us about was jt brubaker in pittsburgh and i just have jt brubaker throwing three straight sliders outside the zone to keston Hira, just burned into my memory here oh, yeah, yeah. flailing at all three of them and just walking back to the dugout like hey what just happened what <laughs> why why did i do that uh, but brubaker looks really good so far kind of on the the consistent list of Eno's undervalued pitchers. And uh, where do we go from here? Right now he's at 21% with his K-BB minus percentage. So even like 18% at the end of the year means he's about 16.5% here on out. That gives him quite a bit of buffer.
2: Yeah, uh, the redone uh, stuff plus uh, is not as excited as the preseason stuff plus uh, because we've been tinkering with it, he has about average stuff plus. With uh, two, the two breaking balls are standout. Uh, the changeup is about average, and the fastballs are not great. And I think that's actually that that stuff number fits what he does best. You know, I think he is an average stuff guy with good command. Because if you watch him, his fastballs aren't that great. You know, uh, he's a little bit borderline there. So uh, here's a guy that I'm happy. You know, I'm happy if if our highlighting him uh, led to you rostering him so far, um, but I also think he's slightly over his skis and would be a decent sell high. I think uh, if I was projecting him... I like Steamer's 388 ERA with a 129 whip. Um, uh, I, I could see him being a little bit better than that. So I think maybe like a 375-125 with a strikeout per inning. I think he can do that. There's just going to be games where... Uh, people somehow figure out how to attack those fastballs better.
1: Better pirate for the rest of the season, or if they get traded, just better pitcher for the rest of the season. Brubaker or Tyler Anderson. I mean, the model loves Tyler Anderson.
2: I like I like talking about the model like it's sentient.
1: <laughs> the model loves Tyler Anderson. Mm. Well, I think I think Brubaker has a more pirate name.
2: <laughs> he does. <laughs> I brew baker, but uh, if I'm picking, I'm picking Tyler Anderson.
1: Fair enough. I just figured a lot of people probably have them reasonably close in terms of how they evaluate them and look at their respective strengths and weaknesses. So over under for me on 18.0 at the end of the season, I'll say slight under here. I don't know why. What was, I'm a the, the, what was on the over the under? 18.0 what? K minus BB percentage, and he's at. Uh, like twenty one, I think, right now. Oof, that's exciting. Yeah, it's really good. I I just mm, it's a new it's a new level for both. I can't buy the improvement for both just yet.
2: Yeah, and his minor league uh, career does not uh, support a strikeout rate this high.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if the stuff numbers were better, maybe I'd be a little more inclined to buy in. I finishes at 15, 16%. That's still good. doesn't, doesn't mean he failed It's just more of and like he, a and he has, four starter.
2: Like he's definitely a major leaguer. Like those two breaking balls in, in this league, that means he's a major leaguer. But I just think that guys with bad fastballs, you know, they just go through stretches where maybe they just lose a little bit of the
1: touch on their slider. They have to go to the fastball and a fastball count and boom, bad game. Yeah. Um, I'm right there with you. Thanks for the great questions today. There were plenty of them, as I mentioned, and uh, we're always taking questions. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com. If you want to send us an email on Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, I'm not sure what you're waiting for, but we have a special offer going on right now. It's three ninety nine a month to get in at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. So you can go right to that link, or you can click on one of Eno's pieces or one of my pieces and sign up that way. Any of those options are great, and it's uh, really appreciated because if you're supporting the site, you're supporting this podcast. And you can also support the show by leaving us a nice rating and review if you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to do that. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for
2: listening.